Where does the truth come from? Where does it come from? material reductionist says the truth comes from outside comes from outside of me comes from the world comes from all the matter moving around and that's the truth the configuration of the world the information in uh, the structure of the energy that's the truth it, and that's a material reductionist. Even a scientist says uh, the truth comes from the method. The truth comes from the method. I'm not going to decide what's true. I'm always going to look outside of me to see what's true. That's a scientist. Now, a scientist is quite different from a material reductionist because a material reductionist has a dogma. They have a dogma. They have a model. Now, to the extent that they uh, trust in the model and only believe the model, they're not a scientist. But they both say, it comes from outside of me. Well, explicitly they both say that. But what does the material reductionist really say? Doesn't he say, well, it comes from me. I have the model. The truth comes from me. I have the model. The truth is the model. That's an extreme material reductionist. They say, I already have the truth. So it comes from me. They explicitly say, it comes from outside. It comes from the world. I don't know. And all there is, is matter that's randomly, chaotically uh, bumping into itself everywhere. And that chaos is the world, and that's what's real, and that's the truth. But they say, I have a model that that's the way it is, so the model is the truth. That's what they're really saying, isn't it?
A true scientist says, well, um, we can't make a model that expresses the truth. It can't match. Our model cannot match the truth. But using the scientific method of curiosity and openness to wherever it leads us, we can't get there without some kind of interim models. Okay, we have to make hypotheses, right? But um, we also can't use our, the models we create as the only guide for where to look. So a true scientist says, we have this method, and uh, I think that's as good as we can do. What about a Mormon? What about a religious person? What about one who believes in God? Mormons are all about revelation. They say God's in heaven and he sends information to us in the form of divine revelation. Now, when I was a Mormon, I was aware that a lot of other churches made this claim too didn't stand behind it because they didn't say oh look there's a there's an actual prophet ordained of God and he's the one that gets the bulk of the revelation <laughs> and so I was like oh okay all these other churches are like you know. they're not getting the truth Right? The truth comes from God. That's the idea there. God gives you the truth. I always thought it was funny that the Catholics claim to be the true religion yet had councils, like councils of Nicaea, to decide what was true. At least that's the way I interpreted the situation at that time. I thought it was the height of arrogance to decide what is true. Deciding what you believe, you know, that's, that's something, but deciding what is true? And isn't that what the material reductionist does? The extreme material reductionist. They have a model. This is the dogma of science. They say, this is the way it is. They have decided the truth.
after I became an atheist and I started um, realizing that I believe there was no God, I had quite a conundrum because where did truth come from then? I had to remodel. I had to remodel everything. Everything. My entire worldview was messed up. I had to remodel. And I didn't know what was worth keeping and what wasn't. It's was like, I don't know. I don't have no idea. So I had to do major refactor. The, the biggest refactor I've ever had to do was when I left the church. And I was doing refactoring for years, probably two or three, before that. I was trying to figure out what was wrong with my worldview for years before I left the church. And then the church, leaving the church was the finale. It was like, oh, okay, here's, here's the big refactor. Everything else has just been practice. Oh, we're getting a phone call. Okay, so I got a call. We were in the middle of a discussion about where the truth comes from, but I got a call and now I don't remember where we were talking about. That's okay. We can continue on. Um, one thing I think we discussed was... Uh, oh, darn it. One thing I think we discussed was... Overtrusting your model. The model is never the truth. I heard somebody say it one, once this way. Uh, the only model that describes the entire universe is the entire universe. You can't condense reality into, into a, a model and have it not take shortcuts. So you can't you can't build a model that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what that means or what all the implications are of that. It kind of feels like in one way it's, it's um, anything you say can't be true in all contexts, but, you know, that, that means that one is not always equal to one. You know, I mean, that means some very basic uh, logical assumptions uh, now even even if it also may, that would also lead to a paradoxical assumption of saying well saying one is not always equal to one is not always true sometimes one is always equal <laughs> in all contexts but you know at some point, it's like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. But we can at least say, um, don't trust your model because it is an oversimplification of reality. And that's what the scientist realizes. He, he says, I will always trust 
what I see more than what I think. If what I see contradicts what I think, I'm going to build a new model that explains what I see and what I have seen in a non-contradictory way. That's, that's what the scientist says. He's willing to throw away... All models are throwaway models. They're all interim. There's nothing that is... Uh, that cannot be violated. This was kind of the... Ex um, experiment I went through when I started leaving the church when I started saying I'm going to look at the world through the eyes of a child I'm going to have I'm, I was basically saying sure I might have a model of how this works or that works or whatever but uh, I don't know if that model's true I don't know so why should I trust it? Wait, is this... I want to get off exit. Get off this So why should I... Why should I trust it over what I see? Shouldn't I just throw it away and make a new model? I keep things until I can replace them. And I'm always trying to replace them, is the theory. Right? Isn't that the model of how I should learn? I'm always trying to replace what I know or what I think with a new model that explains what I've seen. And I, I can call that what I know. I can call it the raw data. I can call it observation. I don't actually know it because we've discussed that you can't know anything except that you exist. Um, so where does the truth come from? It doesn't come from my model. This is the main gripe that I have with material reductionists. They put the model above the observation. Now they can come back and say, look, this is the best model that we have based on observation. Okay. Okay, maybe. Maybe. But it's still an interim model. There's still observations that you could have which could uh, not validate the model, could invalidate it. And if, if you're a material reductionist and you would agree with that, I'd say you can still be saved. So, anyway. <laughs> I would claim that there are observations that we have that uh, maybe not invalidate the model, but put the model in major question territory. They certainly don't help. And the main one being that I'm aware. That I'm conscious. And some of it is just semantics. So as we've discussed before, some of it is just semantics. 
you could say, well, I'm a material reductionist, but um, all change in information, all, all information. Information is awareness. Information is conscious. So all systems have some kind of consciousness, even if it's proto-consciousness, uh, because all systems are systems of information. And so when an atom moves over there and triggers that to happen or something, um, that's a change in consciousness. It expresses itself in some kind of conscious awareness. Okay. Okay, and then you're a pan, panpsychics, pan, pan, panpsychic uh, material reductionist, and that kind of fits. But if you're like, no, the brain produces something magical called awareness or conscious experience, and it's just magic, then you, you, don't, have a, you don't have a coherent model and so you certainly shouldn't um, believe it over anything else. You, know? you shouldn't believe what you tell yourself. Okay. So where does the truth come from? I think we've beat the model, kind of, don't put the model first. We've beat that till it's, you know, a dead horse or something. So... I think there are other things to say about this. And I think the basic question we're trying to ask is, does the model come from outside me? I'm sorry, the model. Does the truth come from outside me? Or does the truth come from inside me? Where does the truth come from? I found it interesting that... Um, The scientist says, the truth comes from outside me. Because I'm, I'm observing. I'm, I'm going to pay attention. Um, the religious also say the truth comes from outside me. It comes from God. It comes from the deity re uh, revealing the truth to us. Um from God. In a religious context, it seems like it takes power away from you. Uh, if you're indoctrinated in, you know, kind of the typical organized religion stuff. Once I kind of looked into mysticism, I kind of, I kind of got a new lease on religion. I was kind of like, okay, okay, let's get rid of this organized religion stuff uh, that's, you know, trying to keep you down, essentially. And then when you realize that everything's just symbolic, you know, you can go in and take the theology or the, you know, the symbolism of the doctrine without taking... Uh, the implications of the doctrine. That's when I was like, oh, okay. God is a symbol for the unknown. The unknown is where the truth comes from. Okay. 
God is a symbol for the holy other. And that's where the truth comes from. Okay, I get it. That's when I stopped hating religion. And I was like, okay, yeah. It's not fair for me to hate um, these symbolic languages. It's a symbolic language of being. Is what religion kind of tries to specialize in. Um, and so it's not opposed to science because it's just a, it's a language of building models. It's just a model system. It's just a modeling. And the mystic, the mystic is kind of interesting because they seem to be the only ones saying the truth comes from you. But then they turn around and say, but you have no idea what you are. And then they turn around and say, you are the whole universe. They turn around and say, everything is you. So they identify with the experience, much like a solipsist has to identify with the experience of being, rather than his particular brain or particular body. That's just his point of view. But the awareness that is all things, that's what he has to identify with. And that's what the mystic identifies with, I think. And so it's, you know, it's saying that you, the, the truth comes from inside you and it comes from outside you. And you're going to react to the world and the world's going to react to you. And you don't know either. You don't know how either of those things are going to go. So you are a mystery unto yourself, is what the mystic kind of says. It kind of, they kind of place you out there in the unknown, and they place the unknown inside you. They're very undifferentiated, the mystic. That's how it feels. There's a bee outside my car, so I'm going to stay in here for just a few minutes. It's like buzzing outside the door. I'm like, okay, I'll just chill. <laughs> It's all good. I can wait. Uh, all right. So, the, tr the truth comes from the unknown, which means the truth comes from chaos. The truth comes from chaos. It comes from um, the entropy of the universe. The truth is surprise because it's observation. The truth is information. All right. I think that's about all I have to say.
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what, what else to connect this to. The truth comes from the unknown, and that seems to have vast implications. And that's one of the things that I kind of felt like I realized once I left religion, because um, I remember hearing this term before I had even thought about leaving. And I had never really heard this term before in my life. And it was two words, self-knowledge. And when I heard the term, it like rang true to me. It was like, holy shit. Have I just assumed that I know everything about myself? Yes, I have. Just like I had assumed that uh, God has all knowledge and, you know, he will impart it when he deems fit. And that I had no power in that. I had, I had the power of a scientist. I had to work through it. I had to do experiments. Yeah, I could do that. But as far as demanding revelation, it just wasn't up to me. I had to work for it. And, and I, I just, I realized that my entire conception was outside myself. The truth is always coming from outside. The unknown is always outside of me. And that phrase opened my eyes just a little bit at the very beginning to say, I don't even know why I do some of the things I do. And that is something that I can be curious about. And that is something I can, I can learn about. I can make observations and I can say, oh, I seem to behave this way. Why? Huh. I don't have to be like the person in some kind of addiction or some kind of uh, behavioral pattern that's not good for me that says, um, I keep doing this and I'm just trying to control it, but I don't know why, you know. And that's, that's the kind of person that my religion had tended towards creating because it instantiates guilt. And guilt um, is not curious. Guilt does not grow. It doesn't help you grow. It doesn't help you learn about yourself or change. In fact, guilt reinforces the behavior that created the guilt. It's absolutely bizarre. Anyway, I'm done. See ya. I had a dream last night. that I was camping for months, you know, like I was out in the wilderness. And for some reason where I was camping, there was a bear that lived nearby and it was kind of like his territory to roam. And, and for some reason I wouldn't move. I was gonna camp there. 
And every day, practically, this bear would come into the camp. You know, he'd like come walk around, like look at me, and just kind of meander away. <laughs> every time he came by, I would like be like, okay, I gotta be worried about this guy. You know, this, this thing can kill me. And so, it was a long dream. Just kept going on like this. That, that pattern kept repeating. And I woke up and I thought, what a stupid dream. What a dumb dream. I was afraid all night. I had no reason to be afraid. The bear didn't even show any aggression. Really. Furthermore, I was in a dream, you know, and usually when I'm in a dream, I don't really have a lot of fear, but this time I did for some reason. Not like a lot, but I was concerned. I was worried is what it was. You know, sometimes I have dreams where, you know, like I'm getting somewhere on time, so I'm kind of worried. It's kind of like that, that kind of fear. It wasn't like the fear you would actually feel if you were confronted with a grizzly bear every day. And I woke up and I thought, man, that's so stupid. What a waste of a dream. And then when I thought that, I thought, now hold on just one second. Now wait just, just a minute here. Where did that dream come from? Am I overly worried about something? I kind of went to bed late last night. Maybe it was just a bad, bad night's sleep was producing this anxiety. Is there something in my environment that seems to be lumbering around that is uh, worrying me, bothering me? Well, if there is... What does the dream have to say about that? I was like, well, the bear never attacked me. It was just chilling. Maybe the dream was telling me, look, dude, you're doing this to yourself. You know, just relax. If you're worried about something, just chill out. Even if it's a subconscious worry, you have nothing to be afraid of. It's not going to come get you. Yeah, it could. It's big. It's not going to come get you. You're fine. I see dreams as your subconscious mind trying to communicate with you. Like 80%. That's what it is. Trying to say, I got a message for you. And I don't know how to express it except by 
giving you an experience that produces some emotions or whatever. And so you got to be curious about it because you don't know why. You don't know where it comes from. It comes from in deep inside you. You don't know what it means. But you can, you know, try to interpret. I try to interpret the dream in those terms. Um, that they are that they are communications from a subconscious part of you. And they show up as symbols. You know, It's strange because they don't seem to communicate with you uh, as literally as they could. You know, you you may dream about something in your life happening to you that could happen. I think, but most of the time, you kind of dream about, like, a symbolic representation of an emotion. And I think that's probably because your subconscious mind is very divided. It's very, um, it's very emotional. doesn't have your coherent uh, top-level view. It's, it's very divided. So a lot of things have a vote on how this thing should be represented, and, and then it comes out as kind of a, a symbol of the real thing, of how it makes, of how this situation in your life makes you feel or something. It's kind of funny because it seems like it's the opposite. If you're able to talk to your subconscious mind, it seems like it's the opposite. It's extremely literal. And I think it's like extremely literal because it's like, well, I don't exactly know what you're talking about. So I'm just going to take you at your word. I remember I had a dream where I was like in the pyramids or something and I was like looking for treasure and it was like an adventure. It was kind of fun. And then the dream kind of got sidetracked and was like, going weird places and I was like frustrated and finally somebody in the dream turned to me and said I, you seem frustrated what, what can I do for you what would you like and I was like I just want to get back to looking for the treasure I mean isn't that why we're here I just want to go look for the treasure and they were like oh yeah let's do that and the rest of the dream, we spent it literally looking for the treasure. Looking. Like the pyramids turned into like a house and everything turned into like furniture and we're like literally looking under, like, like we're looking for keys. Like it was extremely literal. The, the, the experience turned extremely literal. It's like, oh, he wants to look. Oh, we've done that before. We know what looking is. We look for keys and wallets and phones and all the time. We know what looking is. 
Monza. And of course, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted to go on the adventure and find the treasure, right? That was, that was what I was excited about. But since I didn't say, I want to go find the treasure <laughs> in an adventure, you know. <laughs> I said, I want to look for the treasure. And that's what we did. It was extremely literal. So it seems like the unknown inside yourself treats you as the unknown, treats the conscious layer, the uh, linguistic structure that you are, treats you as the unknown. And it doesn't have any uh, preconceived notions. It says, I'll take you at your word as far as I understand it. And yeah. Here's the model that I have of where the conscious mind sits in relation to the rest of the world. The conscious mind sits at the top. Okay, now this is a very childish model. It's very uh, simple. I think it's telling because I think the important parts of it are more or less accurate. But I don't think it's very fleshed out, is what I'm saying. I think the parts that are, you know, there are some parts that matter and you can reason off of. But um, I don't think it's got a lot of detail. So you're just going to have to take it for what you think. You sit at the top. And if you want to put that in terms of your brain, you sit at the prefrontal cortex. I mean, a lot of people will say that. The control center, right? That's what you're aware of. Below that is, I, I want to have a separate name. I want to have a distinct name. I mean, they do. They, they have autonomic nervous system and, and all that. But I want to say it like this. You have a... You have a realm of your mind which you can somewhat explore. It's a, it's a layer below you. 
And that's the layer you go into when you um, are trying to remember a name. You know, it, it's something that's not in your immediate awareness and it doesn't come to your mind immediately. You feel like you have to go grab it. Um, you can also control. You can, you can slow down your breathing and focus and you might be able to increase your heart rate or decrease it through through that layer you know so it's 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 a layer of pseudo subconscious it's available to you on demand but most of the time you're not aware of it this is the layer of your clothes most of the time you don't feel your clothes, you're not thinking about how they feel on your skin. It's not, you're not aware of it. But if you do, if, if your attention is drawn to it, then you can, you can feel it, you can understand, oh, something's going on over here. You know? So you have, and it's a big layer. I mean, there's, you know, that's pretty easy. Like I can immediately feel, you know, my, my uh, sock. Uh, I can immediately know what that feels like if I just think about it. And other things are more difficult. You know, it's going to take a little bit of meditation to be able to calm my heart rate or, you know, whatever. This is also the realm of abstract reasoning. You know? Because you have to, you have to do it. You have to do the math. Um, so as a programmer, I spend a lot of time in that part of the realm. But everybody does, because they're all speaking, uh, you know, some kind of language. Whether it's a legal language or you know whatever your profession is, you're speaking a language. And you have to reason about it abstractly. Now, below that layer, we could probably say that that layer encompasses more or less the entire brain, can't we? Because you can call to your attention, you know, with varying degrees of, of a success and effort, you can call to your attention vast amounts of information contained in your brain. It's kind of funny because some of the information that seems like it's really far away from you, like your skin, how your skin feels, um, it's immediately present if you want it, if you want it. And other stuff is immediately present whether you want it or not, like hearing stuff. At least with our eyes, we have eyelids. We can close them, kind of blank out the signal. So 
So we could say that it encompasses the whole brain, but let's just say it's, you know, generally speaking, it's, it's a layer within the brain. And then there's another layer in the brain called the subconscious. This is something you can't really get to through effort. But that doesn't mean it doesn't bubble up information into your conscious experience. So we have kind of this distinction between, you know, this kind of interim layer, but but at the most basic level of distinction, all you have is what you're aware of, what you're immediately aware of, your conscious experience in the moment, and your subconscious which is the world. So let's get to that. So you have this subconscious layer in the brain. The brain sits on top of a body. It gets all of its information from the body. And then it supplies information to your conscious experience. So you're always in communion with your subconscious especially in your dreams I kind of think of it as being able to query in in the right state of mind especially in dreams you might be able to query your subconscious or give it messages I mean you're always also giving it messages you're rewiring it you're always programming it because you're always in a loop with it you're always in a feedback loop with it it's always paying attention to you It's always learning from you. And so a lot of these subconscious processes, structures that you're building, habits that you're forming, um, it's just what you do. If you do something over and over again, you form a habit, and then you'll do it automatically. It'll be subconscious. You'll build the structure. You'll build the reactive mechanisms to say, okay, when I, when I do this, I see this. When I see this, that triggers this other behavior. When I do that, I should be expecting to see this. Yep, that's what I see. In that case, it's going to trigger this behavior. It's a habit. You build these little programs of behavior. And that's your subconscious. The programs in aggregate, I think, form your subconscious and uh, can talk to you. Not just in your dreams, but I think that's the best example. I think they're talking to you all the time. They're always trying to make their influence known. You know, I don't really understand Freud's conception of the subconscious they came up with these other terms like the id and I just don't even know where to put those things I'm like whatever whatever look there's stuff I can see there's stuff I can't see there's the conscious experience there's the subconscious experience it's a hierarchy it's a pyramid now of course maybe there's other things that and maybe that's what you're talking about I don't know I don't know the ego the super ego whatever I mean, I, I wish somebody could have explained. I took psychology classes in college, I mean, but I still didn't feel like they were coherent. 
I mean, I wish I, I wish somebody could have explained it to me in a way that made sense, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it through my head. Is the, is the super ego, is the ego the way you think you are, and the super ego is the way you think you think you ought to think you are? I mean, what is it? I don't know. I mean, I mean, just, just put some normal labels on things. You know, we don't need a new name. <laughs> just stop coming up with new names, okay? <laughs> That's my beef with, with academia. Fucking get your shit together and don't come up with new names if you don't have to. Okay? When you have to come up with a new name because you don't have a structure that fits, all right, fine. Refactor your shit. I always thought that would be kind of a cool, uh, I don't know, I don't know, some kind of online something platform or or um, twitter handle or something like i don't even know but refactor this i always thought that would be a good one and you can go around the civilization and say okay we could refactor this here we could refactor this why do we have silent letters let's refactor that <laughs> we'll keep a record of it you know just like a blockchain we'll just keep a record it's immutable. We got it. We know what happened. But now, now that we have a record, let's refactor it. And we're not going to behave this way anymore. This is shit. This English language is, you know. And so you you just refactor everything. You'd be like, refactor that. Refactor that. Refactor that. We have a better, we have a better, we have a better API we could instantiate here. Or whatever. I would love to be the refactorer of society. But of course, every dictator would, wouldn't they? Okay, well, underneath your subconscious, which is always giving you data, in fact, it gives you all the data you ever see, um, what do you have? Well, you have, you have your body. You have a boundary. So you have, a, you have your brain. Fine, fine. Let's write, let's write a few boundaries over here. You have your conscious experience with, we'll say, is mostly contained within the, I don't know, free frontal, uh, free frontal cortex. Um, <laughs> and then you, you have a boundary, you know, you have fuzzy boundary, right? That's kind of what I was saying, is you have this really fuzzy boundary, which is like a pseudo subconscious layer, right? It's fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy with the rest of the brain. But we'll say it's there. It's a boundary. And then you have the rest of the brain, which is subconscious. Okay, fine. Let's, let's put it that way. And then the brain has this boundary. And it says, well, I got to get information from the body. So why don't I have a bunch of you know, sensory input neurons on the boundary of the body and then they will converge into the spinal cord and at the point where they're most convergent I'll call that a boundary and that's where my brain ends that's the end you know I mean you know these things are fluid whatever maybe you want to say where the uh, what's it called spinal cord connects into the brain if those are separate neurons I don't even know if they are maybe where they're at 
axons reach into the brain is a, is the boundary, whatever. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But there's a boundary that we could draw between the brain and the body, and I think it makes the most sense to draw it at the choke point, frankly. The condensed point, where the information has to condense itself the most. Because after that point, it starts to unfold and, and then get disseminated, and then that's what we call the brain, right? So I feel like that's probably pretty appropriate. It's kind of like your eyeball. Your eyeball, think about the light that goes into your eye through the pupil, right? It's a circle. It's a circle of light. And you could say the fovea on the back of your eye is a tiny representation of the circle of light that enters your eye, right? You could say that. But wait a second. The circle condenses so that in the middle of your eyeball, there's this little tiny area where that circle of light has become, it's become really, it's like a dot of light. It's still, a, it's still like, you know, a circle. It's still like, just, it's really small. And then it expands back out and hits the back of your eye. Upside down. Right. So what I'm suggesting is we take that principle and we say, look, the fovea is trying, is actually a representation of the, the condensement, <laughs> the compression at the most compressed point in the middle of the eye. It's actually a representation of that. Couldn't we say that? And so we should just take that pattern and apply it everywhere. And we say, okay, well, what we have is the body talks to the brain. And we have a bunch of neurons in our gut. I mean, we have all these kinds of neurons throughout our body that are, you know, they have, you know, there's ganglia, there's stuff going on, there's computation being processed. And it's it's very much in, in uh, uh, integrated into the body. Like these neurons are watching over, you know, this in my liver or whatever, and they're paying attention to it. And these neurons are kind of paying attention to my kidneys or whatever. And, and they connect somewhere in my gut, right? Like there's intelligence down there. The body has an intelligence separate from the brain that informs the brain. In fact, everything the brain knows comes from the body. In that way, you could say the body has a higher intelligence. It has a more vast intelligence. It knows more than the brain. It doesn't condense it down into, you know, the, uh, the top-level representation that we experience as everyday experience. And, and I don't really want to say, by the way, that our experience is the absolute top-level representation. It kind of feels like it's not to me. Like it's a ring around both hemispheres, but you know, let's just—it's—it's it's all good. That's probably some more detail that we don't have to go into. So, the body has an intelligence all on its own. 
on its own. It forms its intelligence. And it's formed. It's formed by evolution more than the brain's intelligence is formed by evolution. The brain is more plastic. Well, sort of. I don't know if I want to go there either. Okay. I'm trying to draw out this hierarchy of where we sit in relation to the physical universe. Okay. The body cannot get any information unless the sensors on the edge of the body, the boundary between the body and the world, which is where, by the way, let's ask the question, where is that? That's our skin, right? That's our eyes. That's our ears. But uh, it's probably easiest to see it as the skin. It's the boundary. It's the boundary of the body. But it's also inside because we're not a circle of mass. We're a tube of mass. And so everything you eat informs the body as well. Everything you breathe informs the body. So that's, that's the outside of the body is the digestive tract. Is that relevant? I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, it, the body gets all of its information from the world. So if my subconscious is the basically inaccessible due to complexity of my brain, inaccessible parts of my brain. And if the brain's as a whole, subconscious is the body because it's the other, it's what supplies information, it's the unknown. I don't know what you're going to tell me. I have a theory, I have a model, and I have a prediction. But I don't know. You could show me something totally new. You're full of surprises. If the body is the subconscious to the brain, then the body is part of the subconscious of my experience. And if the world is the subconscious relative to the body's intelligence, then the world is part of my subconscious. The physical matter and energy is part of my subconscious. Mine. Because I'm the observer. What informs how the world should behave? What informs it? No. 
know, I, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question. I'm really not, because it comes from chaos, doesn't it? Isn't that the whole theory of quantum physics? That everything bubbles up from the quantum? From the undifferentiated? The realm of the quantum is where it starts getting differentiated. That's where the information starts to appear. The differentiation starts to appear at the quantum. And you go deep enough and you find that everything's everything. You go cold enough and the entire uh, liquid nitrogen or whatever starts acting like one atom. It's non-differentiated. It's one mass. It's undifferentiated. Isn't that what we're saying? Isn't that... So it comes from the quantum. And what boundary is that? What's on the other side of that boundary? The uncertainty principle. The boundary is the uncertainty principle, is it not? Now you might say, okay, well, maybe we can't, we don't know, maybe we can't know what uh, produces the particular information it just seems random to us we don't know it just seems random okay it just seems random it's the unknown and einstein wasn't happy with this right he's like no there's there's rules there's rules no that's not it there's rules Everything comes out of math. And Bohr was like, uh, math doesn't exist until it's, you know. A math is a language. Differentiation, separation is a language. So, uh, if you're undifferentiated, you don't have a language. You know, so he says it's random. Hmm. Now, if you're a Dean Radin, you you say, okay, well, maybe let's just say uh, the whole world comes from math. Sure, I mean that's the only way we can describe it. As soon as it pops into existence, we're using math to make calculations and predictions and, and you know, quantum is all about math. So let's just say that it's math. The physical world that we experience is built on math. That's another way of saying it's built on language, a very logical language. A formal language. 
And he, and Dean says, okay, well, what does, um, what does math sit on? He says, well, it sits on set theory. It has its foundations in set theory. Well, what's set theory based on? Well, it's based on the theory of sets. It's based on the idea of boundary. It's based on the idea of separation. It's, it's the foundations of language, of any kind of language, of any kind of description, of any kind of differentiation. It's the theory of sets. And what was that paradox in set theory? What was it? I forgot. I used to know this. The set that doesn't contain itself or something? Ah, sorry. I don't have it. But I think the foundation that I'm trying to get to is, is that was a paradox. And so th- set, set theory itself is based on paradox. Has its foundation in paradox. And that's my claim. That the universe is made out of paradox. Now, Dean Radin says, okay, well, he he doesn't go to the paradox point of view. He says... He says, how does he say it? Something like, this is not it. I'm sorry, Dean. You'll forgive me why. Something like, well, experience, experience is a differentiation. When you experience something, you're differentiating. You're saying, well, that's a house, that's the ground, that's the road, that's the sky. You are always differentiating. Concepts are based on differentiation. Your experience is differentiation. So, set theory should be thought to have a foundation of conscious experience. And that's... Our conscious experience is the subconscious of the world, is what he's saying. It forms a loop. And I think that's right. I do. I think it's accurate, more or less. Because you have a language, not like English, but because you have an intelligence, which is a language, 
intelligence has to be embodied in language. You have a particular point of view. You are differentiated. That is why the world appears differentiated to you. So this is, I think these are kind of some of the things that the mystic grapples with. Because they get to a conclusion emotionally where they say, oh, it's all one. And I'm part of that one. I'm not, I'm not differentiated in that one. I'm, I'm the one. I'm one with the universe. The mystic gets this feeling. It's all one. And it's all me. And so they get the idea that there is no holy other except myself. And I am holy other unto myself. I'm an absolute mystery. I have no idea why I do what I do. It's partly the world's doing. It's partly my influence. I don't know how to trace it. I can't trace back the manifestations. I thought it would be cool years ago to write a novel of an AI that gets built that has as perfect self-awareness as you can have. It can trace back the reasons why it thought anything why it calculated anything, why it did anything. It would be fascinating if you could write a novel from that intelligence's point of view. I couldn't do it, but I thought it would be fun to read. It'd be fun to think about. You could trace back the manifestations. It take a lot of time, but I, I don't know. I thought it would be interesting because every time it traced back, it it learns something that it can use. You're like, well, I did this because I once traced back this action, and in so doing, I learned this about myself. And <laughs> self awareness to the max. It'd be fun to think about what that might be like. It's also fun not really knowing, building interim models. And I, I think that would be the conclusion of the book. You'd have to conclude with saying, at some point, the intelligence would say, oh, I don't really know. I don't know anything. It might go through a process where it's like, I think I know everything. You know, I have, I, I, it sure seems like I'm omnipotent, you know. Like I think I know everything about myself. And it would but then it would experience surprise. Every time it looked back though, it would find a reason and it would build a good model. And then eventually though it would say, but I'm still getting surprised by my behavior all the time. 
And it eventually would have to be like, I can give you some good reasons for trivial things, just like I can as a human. But um, ultimately, I don't really know why I do anything that I do. Ultimately, fundamentally, truthfully, honestly. I don't know. Because I don't know the entire universe. I'd have to, wouldn't I? There, so there is a holy other because I'm a limited. Because I'm differentiated, I'm limited. I'm like a model. I am a model. The intelligence that is me is a model. So because I'm limited, because I'm limited, I can't model the whole universe. I can't explain it. There's a term in the Tao, the Tao Te Ching, that I really like. I don't know why. It's probably wishful thinking. Maybe. It says you can't know it, but you can be it. At peace. In your own life, I think is what the words are. I have kids. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. They're so at peace with living. Like it doesn't give them any pause. They don't think twice about it. They just want to have fun. <laughs> I find it interesting. And enjoyable. To watch. So because we're limited, there is a holy other. You know, the, the mystic, the mystic in me might say, oh, I am all of these, all, all existence. But um, sure. Yeah, totally. But from my point of view, as an individual intelligence, because I have definitions, I have oral view, I have a coherent experience. I have a language because I am language. Um, I'm a model and models are not the real thing. And models are limited. And from the model's point of perspective, the model's point of view, the Western world seems to really have adopted the idea that they are the model. Whereas Eastern traditions seem to say, okay, you know what, you're, you're experiencing existence from a model's point of view, but the experience is what's real. That, that is, 
That can't be faked. That can't be defined. It's ineffable. And they, the Western seems to say, no, what we're going to do is we're going to put the ineffable into God. It's the holy other. That's the ineffable. And we're going to take everything else that is effable. <laughs> effable. That you can speak about. That you can describe. In fact, we'll put all that into the world. We'll say we can describe it. We can build technology. We can describe it. We know how it works. And Carl Jung comes along and he's like, I don't know. I, f I find it interesting. I have no idea why I do what I do, why I'm interested in what I'm interested in, why I think about what I think about. It feels more and more like I'm along for the ride on one hand. And that I'm engaging with reality, trying to do my best, trying to accomplish the X, Y, and Z and whatever, on the other hand. But not really knowing why. Why? And isn't that, isn't that play? Information comes out of chaos, fundamentally. It comes out of chaos. What does that mean? It means all there is is chaos. Organized. That's where the truth comes from. How do you organize the chaos? There's only one hard question in reality, and that's what do you call things? What you call things depend, de decides how you view things, how you see things, what you see, and what you end up calling things. Purifying the self 
seems to be purifying your language. Seems like that's the only way you can do any self transformation is by purifying your concepts. And that's just building better models. That's just questioning everything and, and being willing to observe the chaos in the way that it wants to be observed, in the way that it seems to want to be observed. You're always in communion with the subconscious of your own mind, of your own body, of your own world, the world soul, of, of your of existence, of you. Anyway, that's how it feels to me. That's how I organize it. That's my model of where the chaos, where the truth comes from, how it bubbles up from yourself to yourself. That's how I feel about it. Like I said, it's a very simple model. It's linear. It's hierarchical. It's not that complicated. Everything's a conversation and a good negotiation and an alteration of models, of expectation. Models produce predictions. Predictions are names of models in a context. All right. I mean, see, faith or hope, maybe. seems to play a fundamental role in being. I don't know if you can get to a point where you can't build a better model, I guess is what I'm saying. But I don't think you can. And maybe that's an expression of faith. It's, a, it's an expression of faith to say, I don't think there's any limit to the amount of surprise that the chaos can produce. It may diminish. There may be a, um, 
limit that you approach, you may be able to put a limit on it in that respect. But I don't think it's a hard limit that you can ever reach. I think you will always find more. Surprise. And variety. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't want uh, I don't know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be forever. I don't think. There's a it's a faith that the self is unlimited. I don't even know if it's a faith. It seems it seems rational. It seems like the unknown has to be unlimited. Because it's an expression of the void and there's no limit to nothing. There's boundaries, like the uncertainty principle. It only goes so far. Anyway, that's where knowledge comes from. I mean, that's where the truth comes from. Absolute chaos. <laughs>